0: Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and God's grace and peace be with you all today, whether you're here in the pews or joining us online. So good to be with you. And I'm excited about today. Um, There's lots of good stuff going on. Just yesterday, our former seminarian, Zacher, you all remember Zachary? He was ordained a deacon yesterday down in central Florida, um, which is just exciting, and praise the Lord, and he'll be a priest uh, in God's church in about six months' time. We're also blessed to have our new seminarian, Salim, sitting back there, for whom we will get a better microphone next week. (laughs) We also have our brand new youth minister with us, and he was serving downstairs in the youth room, J.D., uh, and his wife, Kelsey, and we're glad that they're here. We also began our fall kickoff with a new Sunday schedule. Right now, on the other side of the columbarium, just down the hall, they're having the family table service again, and that room is packed. And it's exciting to have them here. We had new classes today, one taught by Father Mac and one by Shireen. um, And it's just great. It's a good day. And to kind of top it all off, we get these wonderful, wonderful parables uh, from Jesus. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin which are just beautiful reminders of the depth and the beauty and the, the height of God's love and mercy. And I don't know about you, but I can use reminders of God's love from time to time, can't you? Right? Life is hard, really hard, and it can get us down and beat us up. Whether it's the current events, like the passing of the Queen this week, which I know hurt many of us deeply, or perhaps it's the weather. I mean, I can hear the weather in here. That can't be good or our work, or school, or politics, or our own personal mistakes, our sins, our shortcomings, or just the stress of life. These things can be a lot to carry. But knowing that Jesus loves us can be so soothing and so helpful. Or even when life is good, knowing that Jesus loves us is like icing on the cake, and it just makes everything that much better. So let's jump into this wonderful story with these wonderful parables with a story that doesn't start so wonderfully. Because Jesus is attacked by these scribes and Pharisees. Now for quite a while now, if you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'd see that Jesus has been teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's been healing folks along the way. And he's set his sights on to Jerusalem where he knows he will suffer and die. And as a result of his teaching, a result of his miracles, a result of his personality, he's gotten quite a following. Of course, he's got his disciples who want to learn from him. Then he's got the elite religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees who are going around keeping tabs on everything that he's doing. I bet they're fun at parties. (laughs) And now he's even got sinners and tax collectors, people who are considered unclean, wicked, greedy, traitors, and shameful. They're all hanging around with Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees aren't happy about this. Can't you just hear them grumbling? Did you see who Jesus invited? Who let them in here? Why doesn't Jesus tell them to go away so their filth doesn't rub off on us? And look at that. He's even sharing meals with these people. It's just ridiculous. Now, sharing meals with people may not seem like it's that significant, but back then it absolutely was. Commentator Mark 2 sums it up by saying, To allow a sinner to sit at the table to share the same utensils and to hear the same conversation would imply that the sinner was just as good, just as capable of intelligent conversation, and just as equal as everyone else who sat around the table, including the scribes and the Pharisees. No wonder they didn't like this. They thought that they were better than those people down there these sinful, horrible tax collectors and other folks. The Pharisees, the scribes that kept the law, these people haven't. They don't deserve to be with us. And so they act like the popular kids at school and shun them from the lunch table because they're beneath them and unworthy. They don't want this kind of riff-raff around. But you know what? Jesus does. Jesus wants them around. He loves these people. He wants them and so he welcomes them, embracing them, and bringing them close to him. And he's been doing this all throughout the gospel. Again, if you read from start to finish, it's amazing how many outcast people Jesus hangs out with. He allowed a sinful woman to sit with him at dinner and to anoint his feet with her tears. He then fed 5,000 people miraculously without considering their background and their heritage, without factoring in their income, or doing a background check to see if they had lived up to the standard. He even called a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Did you know that? Saint Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. He's one of these people the scribes and Pharisees don't want around. Thank God Jesus welcomed him. Jesus hasn't excluded anyone. He hasn't excluded the sinners, the tax collectors. He hasn't even excluded the scribes and the Pharisees or even Judas. Judas is there with him. He doesn't exclude anyone because he said, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And isn't that good news? Because I be a sinner. I don't know about you, but I am one, right? And as Saint Paul says, a saying worthy of men to be believed is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thanks be to God. There's hope for all of us. But it's in this context of this disagreement between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees and their grumbling that Jesus tells us these two wonderful parables. And I think he tells it to show them and to show us the true nature of God because these scribes and Pharisees were not reflecting the true nature of God. Jesus starts with the parable of the lost sheep. A shepherd has a mere modest flock of about a hundred sheep. He takes them out into the wilderness, and one of these dumb animals ends up lost, wandering away. And although he has 99 other sheep, that one is so precious to him that he leaves the other 99 to go off in search of the one. Now, it doesn't say whether he left the other 99 with somebody else or penned them in or otherwise kept them safe. That's not the point. The point is that one meant something to him and he went after it. And when he finally finds it, he picks up that stupid thing on his shoulders and has to carry it home because unlike a dog, sheep don't come when you call them. Try that next time you're at the fair. Here, sheepy, sheepy. Then when he finally gets home, he calls all of his friends and neighbors together to celebrate. Let's have a party. The lost sheep is home. Likewise, Jesus tells the story about a woman who's got 10 coins, each worth about a day's pay, maybe $250, something like that. It's valuable enough. And she loses one of them and then turns her house upside down, lighting lamps, sweeping floors, cleaning the place up to find this one coin. It was valuable, and it was worth all the time and effort she put into finding it. And again, once she finds it, she calls all of her friends to come over and rejoice with her, possibly throwing a party that cost more than the value of that one coin. It was such an exciting thing. Now, as I was thinking about all of this, I realized how often I give up on searching for lost things. I lose things all the time. There's a woman over there who will tell you how often that happens. Hi, Kimberly. (laughs) Several years ago, I lost a book that was very near and dear to me. It's one of my favorite theology books that I had ever had. It had all of my notes and underlining and things like that, and it just vanished. Perhaps I put it down somewhere and don't remember where, or perhaps one of my horrible friends borrowed it and never gave it back, and I will hunt them down. But I did look around for it for a while, but after a couple of days, I just gave up and like, eh, I'll buy another book. Or if I lost my phone, right, that would be frustrating, I'd be upset, but eventually I'd just buy another phone, wouldn't you? I mean, we'll get over that. But this shepherd, this woman, they don't give up searching they search diligently until they find what they're looking for. Because what they were looking for was valuable, meaningful, and worth the effort. It was worth the effort. And these tax collectors and sinners, they were valuable, they were meaningful, and they were worth the effort. And dear friends, so are you. So are you. We are the lost sinners. We are the tax collectors in this story. We're the lost sheep and the lost coin. We have wandered off and gotten lost in the wilderness, doing our own thing and not following the great shepherd. We've sinned, we've messed up, and we've gone astray. We are broken people, aren't we? Again, I am. And so I think we know what it's like to feel unworthy, to feel unwelcomed and to wonder, am I allowed to come to Jesus? Am I allowed to come to God? What if he knows all the stuff that I've done? Once a couple of years ago, I think it was before the pandemic, I was doing baptismal preparation with a group of families in my office. And we were going through the liturgy step by step and talking about the different things you say during the baptismal covenant and the examination and things. And so when we got to the question, do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? I said, the point here is that sin is a big deal. So I want us to go around the circle here, and I want you to share the worst thing you've ever done. I'm a horrible priest. Right, don't ever do this. Right, of course I was kidding. I didn't actually have them go around and share this. But the look of terror on one woman's face (laughs) was well worth the joke. (laughs) Right, it was priceless. But it was also familiar. Familiar. Haven't we all thought if these people here only knew the real me and what I've done, they'd never, ever accept me. I think that a lot. And you're all nice people. Like, but I think this, like if you really knew the sins of my heart and the things that I've done, would you really accept me? But you know what? God knows the things of your heart and he accepts you. It didn't strike me until this morning at the earlier service when we were reading the uh, epistle about how Paul talks about himself. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of God. That's who you want running your church, isn't it? (laughs) But then he says, but I received mercy, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God is merciful and he showed mercy to Paul, and he shows mercy to us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to seek and save the lost, to seek and to save us. Jesus loved us so much to come down to us, to give up the glorious riches of heaven and to be born as a poor child in a manger, then to grow up in this difficult and painful and broken world, and then to suffer and die on a cross so that we could be set free from the power of sin, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be found and brought home to where we belong. To paraphrase Tim Teller, our shepherd would do anything to bring us home. And in fact, he's already done everything to bring us home. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Whenever you look at this cross, I want you to see the deep, deep love of Jesus. I don't want you to just see the fact that your sin is grimy, that it's darkened you, that it's horrible. I want you to see the wideness in God's mercy and the healing in Christ's blood that we just sang about. I want you to focus on how deeply loved you are and then be transformed from the inside out. When you truly understand how deeply loved you are, you will be transformed. I've told this story in a different context, but I think it fits here now. There's an author that I've not read. I think he writes popular novels and things I probably wouldn't read. Um, So I can't commend him to you or not, but I love his story here. His name is Richard Paul Evans. And he tells about how he and his wife were going through just horrible marital problems. And every conversation ended with them fighting and yelling at each other and hanging up with one another. He said he was on tour in a hotel. He called home and it just exploded almost immediately. He hangs up after a huge argument. He's in tears in the shower and is crying out to God for help. And God tells him, you know, you can't change her behavior, but you can change yours. So he gets home, and when he wakes up next to her the next morning, he turns to her and says, what can I do today to make your life better? And she's bitter, she's angry, she's frustrated, and so scornfully she says, clean the garage. And he goes, "Okay, I will. So he gets up and he goes and cleans the garage. And the next morning, he says the same thing. What can I do today to make your life better? Clean the kitchen. Okay, fine. I'll do that. So he goes and does this. He says this went on like two weeks. And finally, he says in the morning, what can I do to make your life better? And she weeps. And she goes, why are you asking me that? I am such a horrible person to you. Why would you love me like this? I should be asking you that question. What can I do to make your life better? After two weeks, the deep love of her husband finally touched her heart, and she was transformed. And when we realize the deep, deep love of Jesus, the vast mercy that he has shown us, we too will be transformed. We will receive this clean heart and a renewed spirit within us, so that we can live with thanksgiving, knowing what God has done for us and how deep his love goes. We can live with righteousness, desiring to do what he's called us to do because we want to. And we can live with love and mercy like Christ because God has shown love and mercy to us. This is what the scribes and the Pharisees needed to understand. They were so focused on themselves their status, their purity, and their piety, that they could not see that they'd been loved and shown mercy. The embodiment of love was literally walking and talking in front of them, and they missed it. They needed to realize that they too were lost. They too are the sinners and the tax collectors. And I think if they'd gotten that, I think they'd be more willing to accept the sinners and tax collectors around them, don't you? When you realize how deep the mercy has gone, it's way easier to share that mercy with others. So my dear friends, I call you to realize how deeply loved you are by God and to be transformed. God is not looking to smite you, to make you feel guilty or to shame you for whatever you might have done. The shepherd did not yell at his lost sheep. The woman did not curse her lost coin. And if you read the next parable, the father does not teach a lesson to the prodigal son. Instead, they all embraced what was lost and then rejoiced when it was found. So I call you to rejoice. Jesus, the good shepherd, has welcomed you into his home to sit with him at his table, to dine with him here at his altar, and then to live with him forever in his eternal kingdom. That is where you are wanted and welcomed. This is where you belong. This is where you are loved. This is where you can rejoice and this is where you can welcome others. All to the glory of God. Amen.